First Peter chapter number two. The uh, Christmas season is is uh, approaching the end. Uh, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and then next Monday is Christmas Day. How many of you here uh, have all of your Christmas shopping done? Would you raise your hand if you have all your Christmas shopping done? All right. How many of you plan on finishing up your Christmas shopping Sunday night after church? All right. Well, we have some honest folks in the building. Don't order from Amazon Sunday night after church because they're not that good. Okay. Uh, so, but um, it's uh, coming up quick. And I, I hope that um, uh, you enjoy time with the family. Let me really encourage you to make our Christmas Eve candlelight service part of the tradition of uh, your um, of your family. Now, even if you have family that doesn't go to church here regularly, try to get them here, even if that's the only service every year. And then uh, you can go out and have a dinner afterwards or whatever you want to do. But try to add that in and make that a family tradition. You'll you'll be really glad that you do that. And on top of that, if you have lost family, they'll get the gospel every year. So uh, next week's going to be really special. One quick announcement before we move forward. Um, there is supposed to be a business meeting tonight. It has not been publicized. It has not been announced. It is supposed to be to approve the 2018 budget. I'm going to push that out to the 31st of December uh, only because it has not been properly heralded. Uh, and that comes back on me. And so uh, consider this a, a very loud and firm announcement. We will be having a business meeting on December 31st after the evening service. So uh, you can mark that down. Very good. Okay, First Peter chapter 2. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be reading from verse 18 down through verse 25. Uh, we're going to begin the sermon here, then we'll come back and end the sermon here. The Bible says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it uh, if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." Who uh, his own sin bear our uh, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live in a righteousness by whose stripes you were healed healed, for you were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This passage tonight is addressed to how a servant is to respond when he is treated wrong uh, by uh, the one who he answers to or his master. And so tonight, uh, using this concept or this truth, we're going to look at several passages that sort of address the same thing. And we're going to look up at the topic of lifting up Christ at work, lifting up Christ at work. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight as we uh, look at one of the last few installments in our Lift Him Up series, that God, uh, you would press this truth to our hearts. Most everyone here is either currently employed or soon will be. And everyone answers to someone, even if uh, uh, those that are self-employed answer to those that do the work for. 
And then, Lord, those that go and punch the clock or work a salary job, they have a supervisor or some uh, higher authority they answer to at work. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take what's said tonight. May we be reminded of some things. May we be given some fresh perspective as well uh, as what the workplace is and for and who it is we really answer to. Help us tonight to pay attention in the sermon, to understand it, and may the members of White Oak Baptist Church be the best employees in the area because of uh, knowing that one day we'll answer to you, give account to you for how we do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All year long, we have been talking through the uh, about lifting up Christ through our actions, through our actions. We've talked about uh, lifting up Christ through my speech, through my trials, lifting up Christ through my temptations. We've talked about lifting up Christ through my church. Uh, the last one in the series we looked at was through my money. And then tonight we're going to look at lifting up Christ while at work. Lifting up Christ at work. Christians ought to treat the workplace as if Jesus Christ was sitting in the boss's office. That's how Christians ought to treat the workplace. Now, we're going to play a little game here. Um, we live in the text era, right? Where OMW means what? On my way, right? Uh, LOL means what? Laugh out loud. Um, there was a story of uh, uh, someone who had passed away and they were sending their condolences back and forth. And an older gentleman was trying to figure out how to text and be cool. And so he sent back LOL. And the person received it and was like, well, this isn't funny that somebody died. Why are they putting LOL? Well, what they really meant was lots of love. And so it took a minute to figure that out. I'm going to throw some um, uh, three-letter uh, uh, three acronyms, I guess you'd call them, up. And these are um, nine workplace attitudes that bosses hate. And I'm going to see how quick on your feet you can be to figure out what these are. Okay, if you think you know it, uh, you can shout it out there. Okay, I'll give you a second on each one. The first one, I believe it should come up one at a time here. NMJ. NMJ. Workplace attitude, bosses say. That's not my job. That's not my job. You guys are sharp. All right. Here's the next one. NMM. NMM. Huh? Close. Need more money. I, I'll do that. But I need some more money. Right? Here's another one. WCT. WCT. Anybody? I can have the Jeopardy jingle going on in the background if we need to. Close. It's um, Wastes Company Time. We all know people that do that. You weren't really close. I was just trying to be nice to you. <laughs> Wastes Company Time. We all know people like that, right? Here's another one. P. P, P, it's, I'll give you a hint. It's the same word three times. This person's always putting themselves out there claiming promises, promises, promises. Yeah, you over-promise and under-deliver. Uh, bosses don't like that attitude. Here's another one. Uh, N-M-H. N-M-H. This is, uh, this is what a boss would say about an individual. No more headache. No, that's not right. Needs more help. Needs more help. That person, you give them a project, they always need more help. 
Uh, they never can handle it on their own. You're always having to re- reallocate uh, resources to kind of help them out. Here we go. A, C, D. A, C, D. The first word is always. Always complaining and disagreeable. There it is. Always complaining and disagreeable. How many of you have some coworkers that are that way? Hey, complain about everything. How many of you are the coworker that's that way? Complain about everything. Just very disagreeable. Uh, the boss can say the sky sure is blue out there today. They say, no, I saw a cloud. It's not blue. Stop it. Uh, here's the next one. CWS. Oh, employers hate this one. CWS. The last word is syndrome. Clock watchers syndrome. Anybody here guilty of that? You know, when you watch the clock, it moves a lot slower. You're aware of that, right? You keep looking up, you get off at four, and that last hour feels like an eternity. But if you don't look at the clock, then it seems to move a little bit quicker. Um, I was reading a book some time back. It said that he who looks for payday and quitting time will never get ahead in life. Oh, I thought that was a great quote. He that looks for payday and quitting time will never get ahead in life. You ought to be willing to work past quitting time if necessary. You ought to be uh, 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 not just there just for the money. Uh, all right, two more here. TTM, TTM. This is a this would be a title of a bad employee. All right, um, uh, it is the troublemaker, the troublemaker. And then the last one is SRM supports the rumor mill, supports the rumor mill. And so uh, stay away from these nine workplace attitudes. This evening, I'm going to uh, just say that I believe that if Christians will treat their jobs as though uh, they have uh, they have heavenly consequences, then it would change our approach as to why we work and how we go about doing our work. Let me say that again. I believe that if Christians would treat their jobs as though their job has heavenly consequences, then it would change our approach as to why we go to work and how we go about doing our work. Now, you say, well, I uh, I, uh, I fix technology for a living or I, uh, I make plumbing work for a living or uh, I push, uh, I file things away in an office for a living or I, I work out of a cubicle or I work insurance. Uh, uh, God surely doesn't care about those things. And I'd say, yes, He does. Yes, He does. Just like God called me to be a pastor, He's called you to work at the place you work. He's called you to do what you do. And He cares about what you do. And you're going to give account to Him one day for what it is. It doesn't matter if you're working in a kitchen or if you're working in an office or you're working on a construction site. God cares not only about what you do, He cares about how you do it and why it is that you're out there doing that. So tonight we're going to look at four thoughts on this topic of lifting up Christ while at, while in the workplace or lifting up Christ at work. Notice number one, our motives, our motives. Can you flip over to Ephesians chapter six? Now, we're not going to come back to first Peter two to the end of the sermon. So you can slip a piece of paper in there. We're going to look at that very closely at the end of the sermon, but we're going to be uh, between Ephesians and first Peter the rest of the night here. Ephesians chapter six. Look there at verse number six with me. It says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, not with eye service. Basically, what that means is if you're only doing your job while the boss is looking and you're not doing as good of a job while the boss is not looking, then you're just 
You're just being, you're just doing this to be an eye pleaser. You're, you're satisfying the boss's eye when it's on you, but then you're not doing that. Uh, what you're supposed to be doing when the boss's eye is not on you. You're being a man pleaser or a boss pleaser. How many of you here ever saw even one episode of the, sh- the hit show back maybe a decade ago, five years ago, Undercover Boss? Anybody here ever see the show Undercover Boss? How many of you here have no idea what I'm talking about? All right, I'm going to uh, just uh, brief those of you that don't know. Uh, the idea here was that uh, a company's CEO would leave uh, uh, the office and come on down and would disguise themselves. Uh, sometimes that would be with a wig uh, or with a mustache or maybe they would grow a, a beard uh, or they would just really dishevel their, their countenance and they would uh, pretend as though they were an entry-level employee uh, on a reality TV show about someone trying to land a job inside of that company. And so what would happen is the most powerful man in the company would come down and he would work amongst just the lowly entry-level uh, folks and he would um, uh, rub shoulders with them. They had all kinds of episodes out uh, from uh, somebody waste management to someone cleaning out porta potties to all kinds of different shows uh, uh, they had all kinds of different environments they'd set this in and uh, what a concept what a concept rich powerful men and women who have the financial wherewithal as CEOs to uh, to observe and watch entry-level employees, how they uh, act, how they interact, learn what their struggles are, uh, kind of pick their brain about the, the good and the bad of the company as they see it from the bottom up instead of from the top down. And uh, from there, they were able to go back to their office and then promote and better the lives. Or sometimes they would fire and get rid of folks who are poisonous for the company. But they sat at the top of the ladder and they were able to go down to the bottom of the ladder of the company, see what it was like, see uh, what the climate and the attitude was, and then look to both promote folks and improve that environment. Now, later on in the show, they would stick these individuals. So the CEO would be entered and he would be assigned to another entry-level employee or a low-level employee. And they would follow him around uh, for the uh, 30, 45 minutes of the show there. Uh, and uh, they would uh, d- uh, be learning how to do the entry-level work with them. They'd get to know them real well. And then at the end of the show, these uh, people who they'd been assigned to work with, people who are already employees of the company, would be brought in and stuck in the CEO's office and the CEO would come in and they'd say, do you know who I am? And the shock on their face. Ah, you weren't really Bob, the entry level employee. You were. Yeah, you were the guy that owns the joint. And usually it was good. Um, There would be the, the the sometimes the CEO would write a check out of his own pocket to help someone who was struggling uh, maybe a single mom who's struggling to make ends meet, or uh, they would learn someone has uh, some capability and they would promote them into a higher level of management right away and uh, put their expertise to work. The show was filled with many feel-good stories. Now, what if your boss followed you around every minute of every day? What if your boss looked over your shoulder the way an umpire looks over the shoulder of a catcher? All the time and just just nitpicked you to death. Let me ask you a question this evening. Would it change your work pattern? Would you be on your phone a little bit less? Would you have a little bit less downtime at your office? If so, then your motive in working your job is wrong. 
Now, part of uh, public speaking is to know your audience. And here's what I think about those of you sitting out in front of me, the majority of you. I believe that most of you here genuinely do indeed work hard. I believe that. I don't think we've got a lot of candy crush players on the work, workplace. I, I really hope not. I, I haven't caught too many of my staff people playing candy crush. Um, and if I have, I don't even remember doing it. I promise I'm not picking on anybody here. Um, for a non-Christian, uh, let me just ask this. Why is it that you do work hard? Those of you that work hard, why do you work hard? I want you to kind of let that question soak in for a minute. I want you to really think about for you what the answer is. Whether you are self-employed or you work for someone, why do you work hard? What are you trying to accomplish by giving your best at work? For a non-Christian, the answer is one of two things or oftentimes it's a combination of them both. What are they? Why does a non-Christian work hard? Power and money. Right? Power and money. They want a raise. And they want more say in the company. Um, as a Christian. Now, now listen, here's where we fall prey. Christians will go to work and want the same two things that non-Christians will want. We want the pay raise and we want more power. And please hear what I'm about to say here. As a Christian, your motive for getting up every day and going to work, why? Why do you do that? Now, money and power are a byproduct of working hard. And they will come to the Christian that works hard within your company. But they should not be your goal. They should not be your goal. You do not get up every day and go to work so that you can uh, be given a, a raise or you can be given an elevated position of influence within the company. That's not why we go to work. Look back at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. Don't take my word for it. Take the Bible's word for it. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Look here. Doing the will of God from the heart. You say, oh, pastor, God does not really care about my line of work. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Now, if you're in a line of work where you're uh, uh, you're providing sin to others, you need to get out of it. Okay, this is assuming that you're in a role of work that isn't uh, uh, causing others to sin or tripping others up in the process and that God has provided you that job. And what is the goal? The goal is that you do the will of God in your life. Now, that sounds like spiritual hyperbole. That sounds like preacher talk. Let me give you an example to help you understand this. You remember the story of Joseph out of Genesis? Joseph was thrown into a hole by his brothers who wanted to kill him. Uh, one of the brothers talked them out of killing him. Then they sold him into slavery and he gets uh, drugged into Egypt and uh, he's put up on the cell, uh, on the uh, auction block there. And he's sold to uh, Potiphar for uh, j- just uh, next to nothing. And he is, as you would put it, maybe an entry level employee. Maybe as I was taught in Sunday school, he was told to mop the floors and sweep the rooms and do all the gruff work nobody wants to do. Uh, maybe he, they had him down there cleaning out the uh, the uh, the grout between the tiles of the toothbrush with the bar. Who knows what they had him doing? But I'm sure at first he wasn't doing anything good. But his his motive was not, hey, I want to have an elevated position in Potiphar's house. His motive was, I want to please the 
Lord by the way I work. And what ended up happening? He was elevated as a servant in Potiphar's house. And the next thing you knew, what was he doing? He was running the joint. Right now, was that his intention? No. Did that happen? Yes. And then uh, uh, we know the story. Potiphar's wife comes at him and lies about him and he's thrown down into a dungeon cell. Now, you could argue that um, that he worked hard in Potiphar's house so that he could be promoted. But what was he getting out of working hard in prison? Is it really that glamorous to be in charge of the prison? No. But it was the will of God for him to work hard in prison. So he worked hard. And then he um, he ends up getting pulled out of there and made second in charge. Now, that much power given to one person at one time would ruin most people. But because his motive was to please God, not gain power and money, he was able to succeed. So I would ask you to this uh, today, um, don't hang your hat on a raise. I tell you today, don't hang your hat on a, uh, a promotion of power at work. Hang your hat on pleasing the Lord. Make that your motive. Number two, notice our master, our master. I'm going to give you an A and a B here. Letter A, notice our earthly masters, our earthly masters. Now, grammatically, I should be capitalizing the M in masters here because the E in earthly is capitalized. But I intentionally left that lower case because I'm emphasizing that they are uh, earthly people and they are inferior to uh, our master in heaven. Look down at verse five of Ephesians six. It says their servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, according to the flesh. Paul made sure to spell this out in the church of Ephesus. I'm not talking about your master in heaven. I'm talking about your master in the workplace. Now, turn over to Colossians chapter three and yeah, you can turn there, stay there. We're going to be there uh, quite a bit uh, for the next little bit of the sermon. Colossians chapter three, verse twenty two. It says there, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, according to the flesh. And so I read you both Ephesians 6, 5 and Colossians 3, 22 to show you that this is emphasized. By the way, Titus has the same language. Timothy has the same language. And first Peter has similar language talking about being obedient or subjective to your masters according to the flesh. Now, I've got to say that I've had many, many, many jobs. I was reading, uh, doing some some research for the sermon here, and I read that most people by the age of 40 have uh, at least eight different jobs by the age of 40. I've got to tell you that I'm way above that number, way above that number, not because I wanted to be. It's just that's how uh, my life has worked out. I've held jobs all the way from Burger King to Under Armour to a fruit farm uh, to uh, to uh, inspecting houses that had been vacated and repossessed by the bank. Uh, I've worked uh, as a school teacher. I've had all kinds of jobs. I drove for uh, four years. I drove a forklift on a freight dock. And uh, worked myself up to junior supervisor there doing that was offered a supervisor role, but instead went into the ministry. Uh, I've uh, worked all kinds of jobs. I've had good bosses and I've had bad bosses. I've had bosses that were fun to work for and I've had bosses that I'd just rather much not ever work for again. How many of you here ever had a boss? You were just like, you know what? I don't ever want to see that person again. <laughs> We've all been there, right? Um, probably my least favorite boss. 
His name was Dan, and Dan was my supervisor at Averett Express. I worked, this is where I worked in uh, Chicago. Um, it was a hard job. Uh, my, my schedule was tough with classes from 8 in the morning till about 1 uh, in the afternoon, and then uh, we'd ho- grab lunch, hop in the car by 2, and then had an hour ride into Chicago. We'd work from 3 to 11 ish sometimes later and then an hour ride back to the college study for an hour or two grab a shower uh, somewhere in there and then on to bed and then up to do it all over again the next day and uh, the job involved working in an outdoor uh, freight uh, uh, setup on a on a concrete block uh, with a roof that leaked so when it rained uh, and it was cold it would freeze on you and then uh, the back end of the dock was open. And so when the wind blowed, it was like a wind tunnel in there. The coldest day I ever worked that job was 20 below zero. And that was the actual temper- temperature, not the wind chill. There was like 17 layers of on. I looked like a marshmallow out there. OK, and I don't know how any of us got anything done, but we were out there. And I got to tell you, when it's that cold, it doesn't matter how many layers you, you, you wear. You're just flat out cold. You're just flat out cold. But I had a supervisor there named Dan and Dan got his position because because Dan was very good at, um, let's see, uh, he was very good at being a, a, a man pleaser. He was very good at the eye service game. Another way of putting that was he was a kiss up, right? Uh, he just said and did what the boss wanted when the boss was looking. And eventually he found his way into a, a role of a supervisor. I have never had a supervisor more lazy than Dan ever in my life. Lazy, lazy, lazy. Uh, now, the other supervisor uh, was actually a graduate from the same college I was and uh, had felt like God wasn't calling him into the ministry. And so he stayed in the area and took a supervisor role. Man, that guy's work ethic, his name is Josh. Josh just worked so hard and uh, he was out on the dock with us in the freezing cold weather. Dan would sit up in his heated office and then make the rounds around the dock about two or three times an eight hour shift and then sit back up in the office and let Josh do all the rest of the work. And I don't know why Josh put up with that. Josh shouldn't have. I guess he was the junior supervisor, so felt like he he uh, didn't have a lot to do. But I got to say that Dan was not easy. Easy to work for. Uh, we had an area of freight that didn't get marked, or rather, came uh, without a label on it, and so it would get put down in an area called OCD. And uh, uh, that's not drugs, amen. That was just the area it got put in. And uh, we had this big old bag of chemicals that had to weigh several hundred pounds, and it was starting to tip over. So I went over with my forklift, and I picked up the strap by the uh, forklift, and I was trying to get it back on the pallet as it was about to tip over, and my forklift poked a hole in the bag. And all of this dry powdered chemical began to run on the dock. It was going to spill over had I not gone over and tried to salvage it. I was just doing my best I could to try to salvage it. And really, it was a lose-lose situation. I would have been in trouble if I had not done something about it as the supervisor was sitting there watching me look at it. And I was going to be in trouble for trying to fix it. And he called me in and he uh, ripped me up and he wrote me up over. And I got to tell you, that was not a pleasant experience. But we're called uh, to be obedient to them that are our masters, whether they are a Josh or they are a Dan. Letter B, notice our eternal master. Our eternal master. Look back at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Look at this, verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, again, this is talking about the workplace, do it heartily as to the Lord... And not unto men, knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. Ye serve 
the Lord Christ. Here's the hard truth. You don't work for who you think you work for. Your real boss is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your real boss. And if you're not getting any appreciation at work, if you're not getting treated the way you want to get treated, um, don't worry. Your final review is going to come in heaven. And God is going to give you either a positive review or a negative review at that time. Now, He allows you, God allows you to work that job. And He is the one that you will give an account uh, uh, to one day for how hard you work and how well you treat your boss, your earthly boss. Now, in the example of that TV show, Undercover Boss, by the way, I don't endorse that uh, show outright. I'm sure there are things in it. Uh, that um, uh, wouldn't be appropriate for a Christian. I've not seen every episode. I've just saw a few episodes. The, one I saw, the ones I saw seem to be okay. But in that example of the TV show, Undercover Boss, your boss is undercover. Actually, he's invisible. And he shadows you everywhere you go. He hears your complaining, even when the boss doesn't. He sees when you're late to work, even when the boss doesn't. He sees when you are stealing company time by checking social media or messing around on your cell phone or caught up in a personal conversation while on the clock. Verse 23 is talked about a lot out of context. And uh, I got to say that you ought to, everything you do, you ought to do heartily as of the Lord. But in context, this is talking about the workplace. You are to uh, take that work that you have as employment and you are to do it heartily, not as to fill in the blank with your boss's name, but you're to do it heartily as to the Lord, as to the Lord. Why? Because he is your master. Number three, let's talk about our mentality, our mentality. The key to being successful at almost anything in life really boils down to the to the word mentality. My mentality as um, as a pastor and as a Christian, my mentality is to see White Oak Baptist Church's members grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. With all my heart, I'm determined to see each and every one of you grow. And if there's one of you in here that is a hard nut to crack, you've probably kept me up at night more than once. I'm just being frank. I have laid in bed at night praying and begging God to show me how to reach various church members here who um, don't really seem to want to get on board with what we're doing. Because with all my heart, I want to see you grow individually. My mentality as a pastor is also to see our numbers grow. I want to see our uh, our Tuesday evening efforts become strengthened with more people going out and following up on folks who are absentee in church or not coming to Sunday school. I want to see our Saturday morning soul winning numbers uh, go up where more people go out with the gospel to see folks saved. I want to see more visitors flow through the door and more a higher percentage of them be retained so that uh, they can help join the army of people that are, are, are consumed with growing in the Lord and, and valuing God's word. Uh, I have a mentality 
of of growth, both for you as an individual. And I have a mentality of growth uh, for our church numerically. Uh, I'm thankful that yesterday that um, uh, uh, two of the groups that went out that I know of, six different people got saved. Uh, Two of them out on the street in Bridgeport were led to the Lord. And then uh, four others were led to the Lord. One of them was a child. And there were three other folks that were led to the Lord. And praise the Lord for all the souls that were were saved as a result of the ministry of White Oak Baptist Church. And we worked hard to try to follow up on some of those and get them here to church today. And we'll, uh, they didn't come. We'll work hard to get them here next week. And uh, uh, why? Because it comes down to mentality. I have told my staff in many deacons meetings that uh, I will uh, watch White Oak Baptist Church grow or I will die trying. I'm going to give it everything I got and I'm willing to throw any and every idea at the wall that is in line with Scripture to try to see that happen. Why? Because the key to being successful at almost anything is that you have a winner's mentality and you go at it as hard as you can and as long as you can and you give it everything you got. Now, here's what I want to tell you tonight. People with a winner's mentality, you know what they do? They find a way to win. Because that's what winners do. Now, you may lose here and there. But you're going to back up when you lose and it's just going to fuel you that much harder and that much more to go out and say, I may not have won that time, but I'm going to win this time and I can fail a thousand times. I just learned a thousand more ways not to do something and I'm going to go win this time. Likewise, people with a loser's mentality, they they find ways to lose. People who lose are very good at making excuses and passing the blame. We all work, we've all worked with folks like this before, right? They, uh, it's never their fault. Never their fault. It's always someone else's fault. And um, I'm uh, working on getting a, um, a uh, sign for my office that says the buck stops here. Now, why would I have a sign in my office that says the buck stops here? I don't hunt. Amen. You'll get that one tomorrow. Okay. Um, I don't hunt, but, you know, if uh, somebody that uh, uh, somebody here blows it, you know, who's ultimately responsible? Me. Me. I'm going to take the blame. I'm going to take the ownership and I'm going to see that it gets better. I'm going to see it doesn't happen again. If something around here isn't going well, let's say there's a misprint in the bulletin. You know who owns that? I do. I do. If uh, if uh, Christmas practice times get messed up, you know who you know who owns that? I do. I'm not going to blame the uh, point the finger at someone else, even oftentimes when it's their fault. I'm not going to do that. Now, I'll pull the person in and deal with it privately. But uh, I'm going to own that. Why? Because that's the right mentality to have. Now, uh, I'm not claiming that positive thinking is all you need to succeed. What I am claiming is that people who want something bad enough will always find a way to make it happen. So when it comes to the workplace, what are the right mentalities? First and foremost, as a Christian, our mentality is not to please our earthly boss, but rather our heavenly father. That's the mentality. That is the mentality. I'm going to please my heavenly father first and foremost. Now, if you'll do this, your earthly boss is probably going to be pleased. So what does our God say about the Christian's mentality in the workplace? Let me quickly give you here a letter A, B, and a C. Letter A, notice, a mentality of obedience. A mentality of obedience. Uh, hold your place there in Colossians. Ephesians 6, 5 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. Look at Colossians 3. 
Colossians 3. This is the last time we'll look at this passage. Verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters. Obey, obey in all things your masters. Flip over to uh, Titus chapter 2. Should just be a few pages to the right there. Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. Here Paul is talking to uh, his preacher boy Titus and telling him how to instruct his flock. And so I could take the words of Paul uh, to Titus just like uh, I could take them to me, just like Titus took them to him as a, a man who's a pastor myself. And so here's what us pastors have been commanded by the Apostle Paul to do, or rather commanded how to instruct our flock. It says here, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. Let me just pause here and make sure I, I uh, uh, clear this up for anyone who maybe is um, uh, wondering about this. The idea of being a servant in the Bible. Um, you are given a place to sleep. You are given a, a, a food to eat in exchange for uh, uh, service to someone else. And the Bible had all kinds of rules and regulations about how you were to treat them Humanely, humanely. And I got to say that in today's day and age, we don't call it master and servant. Okay, but if you go to work and your boss gives you a paycheck and you use that to put a roof over your head and food in your mouth, then it is very similar. It is very similar. By the way, uh, these um, these sports franchise owners, you know what they call them? They call them owners. You know who they own? They own the team. And so if you sign a multi-million dollar contract to play for Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, then Jerry Jones gets to decide how you live your life. And if you don't like it, you can quit. But he gets to decide how you live your life, as every other uh, sports franchise. Now, obviously, there are laws, labor laws and all that. And and much of the uh, Bible is labor laws for servants and masters. But if the servant was to be obedient to their master, then as an employee, you're to be obedient to your employer. First um, uh, Peter chapter two, verse 18 says this servants be subject, be subject to your masters with all fear. Now, we've all worked for someone like Dan, haven't we? Lazy. They uh, they politicized their way to their position and they really don't deserve it. Some of you right now might work for someone like Dan. It was not my place to obey Dan because Dan was worthy. It was my place to do what Dan said because God was my master and he's the one I'm going to answer to someday. Now, some of you really need to hear that tonight. That boss that just gets under your skin and you can't stand. You don't obey him or her because they're worthy. You obey him or her because Jesus Christ is worthy and he's your real employer. Letter B, we see a mentality of respect. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Bible says there in 1 Timothy 6, 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Why? Now, here's this is important. Look at the rest of the verse. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. I have these words down here in my notes. Pet 
peeve. I'm going to share with you a pet peeve. All right. This is going back to my time in the workplace. It is a pet peeve of mine when Christians tell others that they're Christians and then act in a way that shames Christ. Listen, if you're not going to keep up with your yard, don't tell your neighbors you're a Christian. You're going to let your grass grow to be a foot tall. Don't tell them you're headed to this church on a Sunday morning. You're not going to get your gutters cleaned out and you'll let them hang off your house. Be the embarrassment in the neighborhood and go home and tell everyone, Oh, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. You, you're supposed to be a steward of your things. Don't shame the name of Christ. Don't shame the doctrines of the Bible. Christian, you might be the only Bible that that person ever reads. How about at the workplace? You go in at break time and you open up your Bible and you read it. And i got to say, that's awesome. But don't be late getting back from your ship because you were having a Bible study. You're not doing God any favors with your boss when you do that. Um, don't constantly have excuses for why you're late for work. And then uh, walk around talking about how much you love Jesus. Listen, if you're going to uh, act that way, then you don't tell the soul that you love Jesus. You keep that quiet. I think a much better way to live is that you, you respect your employer. Now, I'm going to say something right now that many pastors across this country may not even agree with. But uh, I, I really don't care what they think. I, I care what God thinks. Your boss has the right to tell you not to evangelize at work. Do you understand that? Your boss has the right to tell you to not hold a Bible study. Your boss has the right to tell you not to invite anybody to church while you're on the clock. You say, oh, well, pastor, should I go ahead and do it anyway? I'll get persecuted for Christ. No, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. Um, now, your boss can't tell you what to do off the clock. If you want to walk off the edge of the property and hand someone a gospel track and hand a coworker a gospel track, that's great. You say, but it's a free country. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can go work somewhere else, too. You can go work somewhere else, too. Uh, now, if your boss is okay with that, I've, most of the jobs I've worked, the boss didn't care. Uh, I worked at the, the tire distribution company up in South Windsor, and I witnessed people on the job all the time. My boss was a, a cussing, blaspheming, God-hating person, but he didn't care that I shared my faith with others because I worked hard and he liked my work ethic and he was sad to see me go. Christians, if you're going to tell other people you're Christian, then show up 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes late. Cut your break time off a little bit. Be the first one back in the uh, in the workspace. Uh, get your work done. Be the best at it. Uh, have a good attitude. Be stable. Be consistent. Act like Jesus Christ would if he held your job. Then you can tell others that you're a Christian. Why? Because you're giving them, uh, you're showing that you have a mentality of respect in the workplace. Letter C, we see a mentality of honesty. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I'm going to confess something to you as your pastor. There's a word in these verses. I have uh, I have even had the verse memorized for a long time, and I did not know what the word, uh, verse meant, word meant rather, and, uh, until this week studying for this. 
Look at verse 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Verse 10. Not purloining. Boy, that's not a word you hear every day, is it? Anybody here? Don't, don't shout it out, but anybody here know what purloining means? A few of you, because you're just geniuses. Not purloining. Look at the rest of the verse. But showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now, that word purloin means to embezzle. Embezzle. It's the idea of someone embezzling funds, stealing. Uh, 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 What are some other ways to put that? Sifting off the top, cooking the books, right? How common is employee dishonesty? According to one recent survey, falsifying timesheets was admitted by 6% of workers. Stealing merchandise was admitted by 7%. And among people working in retail stores, 57% said they abused their employee discount privileges. We're talking tonight about having the right mentalities in the workplace and a mentality of honesty. I uh, I got a job um, uh, between my freshman and sophomore years of college, um, uh, both uh, after I finished my freshman year and after I finished my sophomore year. I got a job in Aberdeen, Maryland, working at a grocery warehouse called Super Value. It was hard work. We had a, um, I drove a double pallet jack and we'd select large boxes of lettuce and large uh, uh uh, orders of uh, 50-pound bags of uh, potatoes, and you'd build these pallets up, and then you'd wrap them up, and you'd drop them off uh, there on the uh, freight dock, and then they'd load them into trucks to go on to the grocery stores. And you, you might see pallets sitting in the produce section that they're taking apart. I, I would build those, and they paid you by how fast you moved, and the faster you could move, the more money you made an hour. I think I got up to 17 or 18 bucks an hour. I absolutely loved that job. They would fire people who couldn't hold at a particular production rate, and uh, you you were fired by the math, not by any other reason. And so uh, everyone that worked in the building worked hard and uh, it was great. It was a great work environment. Uh, I enjoyed the supervisors and uh, I would have loved to have worked that job all the way through college. There was a day where I uh, needed to get something off of a top rack. I was one box short on an order and we had a um, uh, the type of forklifts you see in Home Depot. We had one there. I had had some experience driving that particular uh, forklift, but I was not authorized to drive it. And I needed that and I needed it now. And so I hopped on that forklift as I had done at other times. I shouldn't have, but uh, and I attempted to pull that pallet down. And what I did was I with the back end, the weight of that uh, forklift, I took out part of the rack and I did some damage to the, the property. And as soon as I did it, my heart dropped in my shoes. He said, what would you do, Pastor? I got off the forklift. I walked straight into the supervisor's office. I looked straight at the supervisor. There were no cameras in that particular part of the building. And no one saw me do it. I looked right at him. I said, Ron, I said, I was on a piece of equipment I was not authorized to be on. And uh, I took out this equi- uh, took out this rack. I damaged this rack, and I wanted you to make it aware of it. Ron um, Ron loved me and loved my work ethic and loved my attitude, and so he chose to look the other way. I was not fired. 
About a month later, a, another individual was trying to back into a pallet with his double pallet jack, which you weren't allowed to do. And he took out, it was where the oranges were being stored. He took out the rack and about several thousand dollars of oranges went spilling all over the floor. And when they asked him who did it, he lied about it. That part of the building had security cameras. He was fired. He was fired. I said all that to say this. Good relationships are built on trust. Hey, your boss is not looking for you to be perfect. But your boss is looking for you to own it when you make a mistake. As someone who has sat in the employee and the employer chair, let me just say that it is refreshing when someone walks up and says, I own it. I did it. I'm sorry. I'll make it better next time. Be one of those. Be one of those. Number four, and lastly, let's look at our mission. Our mission. I'm going to take the message and sort of flip it on its head right here. The thought process for most of us has been that if I behave like a Christian in the workplace, then I will excel and succeed. Now, that very well may happen, but it very well may not happen. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, where we began. Look at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. So we're talking about masters here. Some are good and gentle and some masters are froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Now, the Bible is about to be as relevant to you today as it could be. Look at verse 20. For what glory is it if... When ye be buffeted for your faults or you're punished for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. Hey, it's no big deal to take it patiently when you get corrected when you've done something wrong. Look at the rest of the verse. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God who is your boss in heaven. Verse 18 again says, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Did you know that Christians are discriminated against in the workplace sometimes? And I'm not talking about obnoxious Christians like I talked about earlier. I'm talking about good, wholesome people who work hard. A friend of mine um, in Angeles, her name is Jill Inkson. Matt and Jill Inkson go to church at uh, Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie. Jill um, is an employee, or as far as I know still is, is an employee for Southwest Airlines. And works out of uh, their main hub there in the Baltimore uh, BWI branch. And they had no policies about Jill inviting people to church until Jill started inviting people to church. Their church was having a friend day there. And so she invited several of her office colleagues uh, to church. She worked there in a cubicle. And the, her neighbor in, in the cubicle next to her, unbeknownst to her, was a homosexual. And so this uh, this girl who was a homosexual went to... Uh, the supervisor and said, hey, uh, Jill invited me to church and I looked her church up online and they take a very uh, strong stand against my lifestyle. And uh, I feel as though Jill is discriminating against me. And they the, uh, a several month uh, um, uh, review began to happen. Investigation began to happen into Jill. And she almost lost her job that she had had for many years 
because she invited a co-worker to work that she did not know held a particular uh, was living a particular lifestyle. These kind of things happen all the time, happen all the time. And Jill was uh, uh, lied about. Jill became part of the rumor mill at work. Uh, Jill uh, became uh, out on an island and lost a lot of friends over the whole incident. And listen, if you ever meet Jill or got to know Jill, she's one of the sweetest, hardworking, highest character people you'd ever meet. Verse 20 says that when you are buffeted or punished and you have done nothing but right uh, because you stood for God, you are to take it patiently. Look at verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Look at verse 22 and think of it in terms of being an employee that is suffering for your stand for Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to uh, him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now return unto the shepherds and bishops of your soul. God here is saying that Jesus is your example in the workplace. And Jesus was maligned against. He was mistreated. He was uh, handled wrongfully. And what did he do? He just took it on the cheek and he suffered and he never backed down from his position of righteousness. We talked about being obedient to your master. And I do believe you need to be obedient to your master unless your uh, your earthly master asks you to do something sinful. You get asked to go to a, a party or you get asked to go out for a, uh, a business luncheon where it's going to be at a bar and alcohol is going to be served. Christians don't have any right in that environment. You don't have any right in that environment. Say, oh, well, I'm just going to go and be the designated driver. Listen, you go be the designated driver long enough, Satan's going to tempt you to, to let someone else be the designated driver and you join in on the drinking. You, uh, you, you can make excuses and say no and wiggle out of it for a while, but I have seen plenty of Christians begin to uh, land in the crosshairs of a boss who uh, is beginning to feel like such and such doesn't want to get involved, that doesn't want to participate, and now all of a sudden uh, they become uh, the seat of ridicule. Uh, we've seen the news lately, all of these people uh, that have been uh, getting fired or let go uh, uh, for sexual harassment in the workplace. And uh, a lot of ladies are willing to say, you know what? I'm willing to take uh, uh, the abuse. I'm willing to uh, come under, succumb and do what I'm asked so that I can take that advancement. And I got to say that uh, you're not helping the problem. The ladies that do that, you're hurting it. Listen, you stand up for what's right and you stand up for truth. Now, our mission in the workplace is twofold. Here it is. These won't be on the screen, but if you're taking notes, write these down. Uh, The first mission that you have in the workplace is to represent Christ admirably. You represent Christ admirably. You are to live your life in a way that when others hear that you're a Christian, boy, they see that your work ethic is stellar. It's superb. It's ahead of everybody else that you are giving it your all and that uh, you are working that job as though Jesus Christ was looking over your shoulder every moment of every day. And number two, it is to suffer for Christ patiently, suffer for Christ patiently. You know, sometimes a boss might call someone like a Jill in and ball her out. 
just to see if uh, if Jill can be baited into getting in the flesh. What a testimony when someone like a Jill is able to maintain a Christian composure and love that boss all the way out the door. Maintain that Christian testimony. Listen, you can't control how other people treat you, but you sure can control how you respond. I finished the sermon with this. A significant and often overlooked way that we serve God is in our everyday tasks at the workplace. A famous preacher of old understood this when he wrote, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Whether you fix computers or plumbing or cook in a kitchen, work on a construction site, whether you sit in a cubicle and file papers, God cares about what you do. And one day, the big boss upstairs is going to take you to heaven and you're going to give it an account for the way you did your job. Oh, he's going to care about your Christian service. But you're also going to answer to him for how you worked at that place of employment that you call your work. How about it, Christian? How about it? You have the right mentality? Do you understand your mission? Are you working in a way that pleases your master? Let's have our heads bowed. And our eyes closed this evening. Lord, I ask that you help us to reevaluate our attitude toward employment. Only a handful of people in the building actually are employed by this church. Most everyone else is not employed by a place of ministry. But God, you care about what we do and you want us to do it to our best ability. And Lord, help us to remember that the goal is not power and money. It is to do the will of God. To do the will of God. May we please you with how we work. May we work harder than everyone around us. May we be more honest. And may we be more obedient. May we be uh, uh, greater examples of, 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 of you than we were tonight. Uh, may we do that tomorrow and moving forward. Help us, Lord, to be committed to work hard for the right reasons. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The piano begins to play. Christian, the altar's open. How about it tonight? You're going to have the right attitude toward the workplace.